God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 15th Sunday after Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you like movies? Raise your hand. Yeah, a great many of us do. Uh, Do you have a favorite movie? Yeah? I would imagine all of us do. I mean, uh, we don't have time to share them all here today, but uh, I'm a movie fan. Uh, I always have been. And you don't see this as much anymore, but it used to happen that you'd go, to, you'd go see a movie in the theater, right? And the average motion picture running time was about two hours. And then after the movie had its run at the theater, it would come out on cable, HBO or Cinemax, one of those, and you'd watch it again, maybe a few times if you really liked it, and you'd begin to memorize the movie. Then after the movie had its run on cable or uh, the regular TV networks would pick it up and run it and they'd make a big deal out of it, right? You know, Tuesday night on ABC, the world television premiere of, you know, Jaws or whatever. Except you'd notice a difference. There'd be added scenes you didn't see before in the theater or on cable. See, when ABC, NBC, and CBS purchased the rights from the film studios like Fox and Warner Brothers for their movies to be shown on regular TV, not only did they get a print of the movie, they also got all the scenes that were thrown out in the editing room before the picture hit the theaters. So a a two-hour movie now on TV was two and a half hours with all this new stuff you hadn't seen before. What the networks didn't seem to understand, though, was those scenes were often cut by the director because he didn't like them or because they just really weren't that good or they detracted from the story or they were just redundant, they were unnecessary. Now when the prime networks were done with the movies, they'd pass them on down to the independent TV channels. And I don't know what you had here in Portland, but in LA there were several of them and they all did this to some degree, but channel 13 was notorious for showing movies and letting them run as the commercials were played over them. So now, when you watched your favorite movie on the lesser channels, scenes were missing. I hated that. I hated all that. I didn't like stuff added or taken away from my movies. Don't mess with my movies, right? Sounds like God is the same way with Scripture, doesn't it? I mean, he says, he says it right there in Deuteronomy. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep my commandments. Now, this isn't the only place in the Bible where God says this. It's also in Revelation, Proverbs, and you also encounter this theme in Matthew and Mark. God's word with its promises of Jesus the Messiah and their fulfillment of prophecy is sacred. And people mustn't change it, or it becomes something false. Look, you know me. You know, I don't use the pulpit to criticize other denominations, but God's word is clear. And there are problems with this. Okay? The Book of Mormon. Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. These are considered by their faithful 
believers and readers to be additional revelations of God beyond what the Bible says or um, in addition to it. The New World translation of the scriptures used by Jehovah's Witnesses. There's stuff taken out of the Bible in this. And you have Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures by Mary Baker Eddy for the Church of Jesus Christ, Scientist. Not so much adding to Scripture or taking away, but uh, uh, she claims it's a key, you see. Uh, You can't understand the Bible without her knowledge. Uh, These are big no-nos with God, apparently. Uh, I'm not afraid to say it, and neither should you. But we Lutherans have been accused of doing the same thing, you know, with this, the book of Concord. But all one has to do is start reading, and you'll quickly discover it's not adding anything to Scripture. It doesn't take away, certainly doesn't take away. It doesn't claim to be a key to understanding. It's not even an interpretation. It's an exposition or an explanation. Of scripture. Now, some people even have a problem with that. They'll say, the scriptures explain themselves. You don't need any outside explanation or confessions or commentaries. What do you think about that? If someone were to ask you to explain baptism, for example, could you, using the Bible alone, Stunned silence. <laughs> You're thinking, was this a trick question? If I say, uh, if I say no, I'll be wrong. Uh, but if I say yes, I'll be wrong too. No, you could. You could explain baptism just using Scripture. You could explain it just as it says in Matthew. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It saves. It's really all you need to know, right? So people's argument that we don't need further explanation is valid, but what's wrong with a little help, huh, every now and then? Here's what Luther says about baptism in the large catechism, which is in here, by the way. To put it most simply, the power, effect, benefit, fruit, and purpose of baptism is to save. No one is baptized in order to become a prince, but as the words say, To be saved, to be saved, we know, is nothing else than to be delivered from sin, death, and the devil, and to enter into the kingdom of God and live with him forever. Here you see again how precious and important a thing baptism should be regarded as being, for in it we get such an inexpressible treasure. This shows that it's not simple, ordinary water, for ordinary water could not have such an effect. But the the Word has. The Word has that effect. And God's name is in the Word. And where God's name is, there must also be life and salvation. There's much, much more than that, but helpful, isn't it? Yeah? Just out of curiosity, what's the Christian scientist's explanation of baptism? Our baptism is a purification from all error. That's all she says about it. And then you look up a little further, her definition of error. What is error? 
Error is a supposition that pleasure and pain, that intelligence, substance, life, are existence in matter. Error is neither mind nor one of mind's faculties. Error is the contradiction of truth. Error is a belief without understanding. Error is unreal because untrue. It is that which seemeth to be and is not. If error were true, its truth would be error, and we should have a self-evident absurdity, namely erroneous truth. Thus we should continue to lose the standard of truth. I think we need a key to understand the key, don't you? I mean, this is a metaphysical existential doublespeak. Not helpful. But our confessions are helpful, even today, and you already know part of them, right? Luther's small catechism, that's part of the confessions. He wrote this in 1529 to be a, a little handbook to teach people what they need to know about the Christian faith at the time because many priests and bishops didn't know Scripture. The priesthood had become corrupt with drunkards and do-nothings who became priests simply to eat and have a roof over their heads. And they faked their way through it by going through the motions and being competent enough to perform the Mass, but they didn't know anything about Jesus. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hard to believe that the church was in that kind of state by the medieval age. People were told they were bad and were threatened with hell and damnation, and the only consolation they got from the church was that maybe, maybe God would show favor on them if they did everything right, like be baptized, come regularly to church, partake in communion, although they weren't allowed to drink the wine, and to live a good life and give money to the church to spring their loved ones out of purgatory and get them into heaven quicker. Luther wrote this to combat that problem. He believed if the priesthood wasn't competent enough to rightly handle God's word and, and they weren't going to fix themselves, then the head of the household should do it. So the love of God was to be taught at the dinner table or after dinner, you know, when the family was gathered around the fire and singing songs and that kind of thing. This has the Ten Commandments in it, which is in perfect harmony with God's other commandment in Deuteronomy that we heard today. Don't take away or add. Certainly, Luther didn't take away from God's commandments, and he didn't add any new ones. But what he does is explain them to help people even more gladly keep them. Now, gladly keep, that's something... You know, that's not something we associate with the commandments very much. In fact, we gladly disobey them, especially the first one, you shall have no other gods. We gladly desire to do the things we want the way we want. But Luther has this little explanation which sums up the commandments pretty well. He entreats you, the reader and the learner, to ask, what do all these commandments mean? for me in my life. They mean that God threatens to punish anyone who breaks His commandments. Therefore, we should be afraid to receive His wrath and not do anything against Him. But He promises grace and blessing 
to all who keep his commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him gladly and do what he commands. Now, we know that in Scripture, God teaches us that we can't follow every commandment every moment of the day. We fail. So what hope do we have? Well, Thankfully, like the other things God tells us in His Word, He sent His Son, Jesus, the Word made flesh for our salvation. Now, does Jesus need further explanation? How would you explain Jesus? You might all do it differently. But thanks to what He's already taught us about Himself in Scripture... There's no need to take away or add. There's no need to do that with anything regarding Him. You don't mess with my Jesus, right? But you can confidently learn a little bit more about Him. A little bit, you can draw a little closer to Him when He's explained this way, as in the Lutheran Confessions. The most important thing is this that Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, was put to death for our sins and raised from death for our justification. That is, to make us right with God. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God has put upon Him the iniquities of us all. More than that, we've all sinned, and we are declared innocent by His grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus by His blood. None of this truth can be given up or compromised, even if heaven and earth and all things were destroyed. For as St. Peter says, there is no other name under heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. And from Isaiah, with his wounds we are healed. So may each one of us continue steadfast in God's word, keeping his commandments, asking for forgiveness when we fail, and living in peaceful assurance that Despite the remnants of sin which remains in us after our baptism, we know where we're going, heaven and the new earth. Amen.